Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, polyamory, the practice of dating or loving more than one person. It's definitely not mainstream, but it's also no longer fringe. It's the cover topic on this month's New York Magazine. People who are in open relationships say it's liberating and sometimes exhausting. And it definitely requires a lot of communication. We'll learn about the surprising history of polyamory, talk to people who are juggling multiple lovers, and we'll hear your experiences, whether you've practiced polyamory for decades, are interested in giving it a try, or have determined it's not for you. Join us. That's next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim. Polyamory, open relationships, swinging, ethical non-monogamy. I imagine those words trigger some emotions, maybe excitement, maybe you're rolling your eyes, or you might be like my mom and you're cringing. In any case, polyamory is no longer a niche relationship idea in the Bay Area. More and more people are trying it. On today's show, we're going to talk about how and why people are opening up their love lives, and we'll touch on the history behind polyamory. We're joined now by Allison Davis. She's a features writer for New York Magazine, and her reported story, What Does a Polycule Actually Look Like?, anchors New York Magazine's cover story, A Practical Guide to Modern Polyamory. We're also joined by Christopher Gleason. He's the author of American Poly... A History. He's also the academic director of the Georgia Coalition for Higher Education in Prison, and he's a part-time assistant professor for Kenesaw State University. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, Christopher, just to get kind of the lay of the land, how do you define polyamory, and how is it different from casual sex for folks who haven't heard that term? I, you know, I think defining polyamory is a little difficult because it depends who you ask. You'll get somewhat different uh, answers to that. But, uh, you know, the kind of a base definition is a uh, relationship 
agreement or arrangement where multiple people can have consensual, uh, either romantic or sexual relationships uh, with a number of people in a very open, honest, communicative state um, where they know about or at least hypothetically know about each other. Um, I think that's a really good baseline. I, I like to, especially doing the history of this, I've also focused kind of on the uh, centrality of gender egalitarianism that polyamory affirms and also uh, tends to be very affirming with uh, gender orientation and, and queerness as well. So very different from polygamy, if folks are confused at all by that term. Definitely different from polygamy. And I think a lot of polyamorists, will, you know, they make a point or have historically made a point to differentiate their lifestyles and communities from polygamous ones. Just to just to lay that clearly out in the open before we even get started. Allison, there's this new guide and there's kind of a lot of technical jargon if you go through it, just as in terms of what are the options on the table, like hierarchical polyamory. So if we avoid all of that jargon, just kind of simply for folks, what are the options on the table these days? Well, you know, I'm going to go with a similar disclaimer to Christopher that even though there are these sort of labels that... Um, Unlike monogamy, where there is sort of like, you know, one, mostly one understanding of what it means to be monogamous, and you say to someone, I would like to be monogamous, um, and they kind of get it too, even within these labels, uh, the scripts of all of this is is still de being defined and evolving. So what one, you know, I can say I am, you know, in an open relationship, and you can say I want to be in an open relationship, and I can mean that I want to be able to have sex with people but not have romantic relationships. And I want that from you as well. And it could mean something different to you as well. So it's a lot of communication. But the sort of options that we laid out in our guide, um, just to give people a bit of a primer, were, you know, under this umbrella of ethical non-monogamy, there's the open relationship, which um, loosely is having sexual relations, but not necessarily like deep intense, romantic, intimate, long-term relationships with other people. Um, then there's swinging, which is like you're doing it together with your with your partner and you're having sex or dates with people um, as a duo. And I think that that's sort of the stereotypical like 70s key party vibe that people associate with polyamory a lot. Then there's um, hierarchical polyamory, which is when you and your partner have romantic relationships or sexual relationships with other people, but you've sort of agreed that you two are each other's primary partner and you're sort of the, you know, like the anchor for the guidelines and, and um, I, I hesitate to use rules, but the, the guardrails around how you pursue those relationships, uh, you're always at the center. And then there's non-hierarchical polyamory, which is no primary partners. And then that can move into relationship anarchy, which is like so advanced. I can't even touch on it. Um, and then there's the really interesting label of solo poly, which is a single person who is not dating um, to sort of ride the relationship escalator or for the, the, the goal of getting married or ending up in sort of a monogamous relationship that you're single and you're not interested in doing things like sharing a home potentially or bank accounts or any of that, um, but you do have multiple intimate or sexual relationships um, that you foster respectfully and, and with pleasure. And I my, think that's <laughs> no, exactly that, that covers a, a, a large swath. And just to clarify, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Allison, but are you are currently identifying as solo poly? Is that true? And if that is, how did you get there? Oh, that's so interesting. I I am not really identifying as anything. I'm um, you know, I'm a single woman in New York, and 
it, monogamy has been a, a real journey and one that I found isn't exactly right for me. And so I've started my journey of exploring what ethical non-monogamy can look like in my life and most recently was engaging in what I would define as solo poly, but I think I still have some work to do around those things. Um, and so I, I, I hesitate to say I identify any one way, but I, gosh, how did it start? I'm on field, <laughs> which is a, a dating app that's really open-minded and sort of, you know, um, relationship st structure, make your own relationship structure forward and kink forward and I've found that um, sort of through dating people who also engage in different ways of being ethically non-monogamous, I have been exploring um, solo poly, which means I'm single. I don't really have uh, a desire to get married. The relationship escalator, I think, structurally has um, sort of been difficult. It doesn't it, it favors sort of a really heteronormative and sort of white-centric way of existing in the world. And I'm a single Black woman who a lot of those things just don't apply to me. And um, so, I've yeah, I've been out there trying it. And it's been both great but also really, really challenging. It feels like my brain has been rewired since uh, the past year of, of, of experimenting. I'm realizing as we're having this conversation that we, we probably should just warn listeners that you know, this hour we're going to talk about relationships in intimate details. So this hour may not be appropriate for young children who are who are tuning in right now. And just to clarify, Allison, can you just define the relationship escalator? You're hinting at it, but what exactly are you talking about when you say that? Yeah, it's a concept of um, a sort of like automatic ride through the milestones of a relationship that everyone's sort of familiar with. You know, you meet, you date, you are dating to get married and have kids or cohabitate or all of these things that are sort of a given in monogamy that maybe at some point um, you might want to stop and say, oh, I'm not, that's, I don't want to cohabitate or, oh, I'm not interested in getting married, but I do want to be with you long term or, oh, I don't, I don't want children. What does that mean? Um, and it's just, you know, the sort of automated ride through the relationship that we often go on without thinking. And and Christopher, so basically someone wants to get off that elevator perhaps, but even more broadly, we've been doing this or polyamory has been practiced for, for quite some time. What are the main driving reasons that you hear from people about why they would want to open up their love lives and, and move away from monogamy? I think there can be, you know, as, as many um, reasons as, as there are people, you know, there are uh, reoccurring ones like people become stale in their relationships. Uh, people want to explore maybe their sexuality in ways they haven't before. So they want to open up things to uh, maybe their partner or loved one or, you know, the person they're committed to uh, doesn't like to do the same things that they do. So maybe they just want someone that's interested in the same things. There's really a number of reasons why people do it. And, you know, when I talk to different people and have talked to different people and follow people through time in the, in the history book that I wrote, you know, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, you find different reasons too. But, you know, the ones that really come to the forefront the most are um, really to, to, well, one, to explore sexuality is one that comes up probably more than I expected. Um, and then, you know, to have a variety, sexual variety, and then to uh, have someone that's interested in the same things uh, if perhaps your partner isn't. Allison, I, I've heard kind of in the circles, being being in the Bay Area, that if you're in a monogamous relationship, you're going to struggle with boredom. If you're in an open relationship or a polyamorous relationship, you're going to struggle with jealousy. 
kind of pick your <laughs> pick your poison there. Would you say that's accurate? Did you when you talk to the forty couples for your, uh, you know, article? Did they really wrestle with jealousy? Was that a primary kind of poison that they were wrestling with? Well, I mean, find me any relationship that's an intimate or a sexual relationship where jealousy doesn't come up or any relationship at all where boredom doesn't pop up. You know, I think that it's not really a, an either or. It's a it's a it's a menu we all get to choose from when we choose to be with other human beings, no matter what that means um, or how we define the interactions. But yeah, I think jealousy is a is heightened, um, obviously, when you're sharing partners or sharing sexual partners or sharing time or sharing personal resources. And um, I think that that was a really common theme, no matter how different different the arrangement was of, of many of the couples we spoke to, that jealousy was something they had to recognize, contend with, accept within themselves, work through, transform. Um, it's a, you know, a, a big talking point and something that can really undo you, but also something that is healthy to, to explore. Um, I don't know, maybe Christopher, you also agree with me on that one. Thoughts there, Christopher? Uh, I, I, no, no I, I totally do agree. So the, the time management thing is really something I'm actually reading the new book that came out uh, open right now. And, and this is something that is, I think people really underestimate uh, the role of jealousy coming into sometimes. I really love the conversation now how, you know, I followed these activists through time and they're really trying to sell this as the best thing. Like even something that would lead to a utopian society, they're very idealistic in that. And I think that there's some really positive truths. I've seen some wonderful manifestations of polyamory that are extremely healthy and nurturing. But I think trying to downplay the fact that this is uh, a very, I, I think, what is the, the quote from the article that I, I just read, actually, that, you know, it's doing life on hard mode. <laughs> and I, I think that that is true. And, and and people should be very aware and just to make informed decisions when they come into a lifestyle, because any any normal problems that I, I don't want to use the word normal at all, but any uh, experiences that people nor or <laughs> it's hard to not use it, but uh, jealousy and things are exacerbated or can be exponentially uh, kind of put on edge when you add more and more people to it. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about life on hard mode. We're about to go into a break, but we've been talking about polyamory, how it's becoming more mainstream, the advantages and challenges you've noticed in trying it. We want to hear from you. What you're curious about, we've been talking to Allison Davis. She's a feature writer for New York Magazine and Christopher Gleason. He's author of American Poly, A History. We want to hear from you. Again, are you considering polyamory? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. We'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim, and we are talking about polyamory, how it's becoming more and more mainstream. And we're talking with Allison Davis. She's a feature writer for New York Magazine and Christopher Gleason. He's author of American Poly, A History. And we're joined now by Josephine Chang, and she's in New York. She's a film and TV actor based there. They, excuse me, they, Josephine Chang. I'm so sorry for that. Josephine, we were just talking about how... Uh, kind of life it choosing polyamory could be potentially like choosing life on hard mode because it requires so much more communication and juggling potentially schedule wise a lot more to track does that resonate with you hi leslie yes it definitely resonates with me um i'm currently in a six-year long-term relationship with a partner and also we both have other uh serious partners. And so I think there's a few ways it plays out as life in hard mode. Definitely there's the scheduling difficulties. I think we can get really precious about time and just making sure we're able to spend quality time with each partner. But even more so, the emotional work that you have to put into your day-to-day life. Um, I think in any relationship, you come to learn that there's so much you need to dig in about yourself and there's so much work that you need to do just to figure out how to show up in a true way in the relationship and ask for what you need and what you want. And when you are trying to do polyamory on top of that, I think that goes into overdrive. where <laughs> Not just hard mode, so, but overdrive. Yeah, yeah, where there's so many triggers, I think, that can come up in terms of when you feel jealousy, I don't know, is this jealousy or is this insecurity triggered by something from my past? And how do I work through that and ask for what I need and what I want? Well, I want to hear about your relationship in just a second, Josephine, but let's bring a caller into the conversation. Harish in San Francisco, you're on the air. Hey, um, yeah, I just wanted to chime in. I'm part of a, a throuple uh, polyamorous relationship. We cohabitate. Uh, we're, we're parents to an amazing child that we are all raising together. Um, and because we've been doing it for a while, you know, we've been polyamorous for the last 10 or 12 years. We've been cohabitating. We own a home and uh, we've, we've had the home since, you know, it's been about four or five years now. And a lot of friends come up to us asking about, like, whether or not, oh, polyamory is a great idea for me. You know, do you think we should do it? And the biggest caution we have is how is your relationship now? Because it is not a fix for a broken relationship. And I guess that's that was my main thing. And I'll leave it there. I'm curious, though, parenting. So you've got three of you said throuple, right? So there's three of you parenting your child. Yes. What are what are the pros? I mean, it seems I don't know. I'm. It sounds nice to have another adult in the room. What? Uh, what are the cons? Honestly, it's amazing. So it's it's three of us raising one kid. Um, we all have full time jobs. We're all working professionals. So it gives us a lot more time and flexibility. Um, you know, the late nights, the early mornings of the newborn. I. I can't even imagine how two parents do it um, because we've been able to kind of divvy things up and, you know, we, we get each other's backs. If somebody doesn't have enough spoons that day, 
somebody else is almost always around to step in and help out. You know, it just gives us more, more to give her in support of her, you know, growing up. Thank you so much for sharing that, Harish. Really appreciate it. Josephine, tell us about the mechanics. You mentioned that you've been in a polyamorous relationship for six years. What does it look like? Yeah, so I started out dating my current partner at the time uh, when we were really young. I think we were 21 when we met. Uh, Right off the bat, we wanted to start it off polyamorous. She had brought it up to me one night. And I said, okay, I thought I thought at the time that she just didn't want to commit. But after looking into it a little, I was like, I think this is also the model of relationship that I've been looking for. So we tried it out. Uh, we both dated other partners in that first go around of our relationship. But it didn't quite work out, I think, because uh, we were just not ready for a relationship at the time. But I I knew not to quite blame it on the polyamory. I think it can bring to light things that are uh, difficult in the relationship, but that's not to say that it is because of the polyamory. So then we later ended up getting back together. We closed our relationship for a bit to build a foundation of trust and intimacy again. And then when we both moved to New York, we opened it up again. And uh, currently my partner has one other boyfriend that she's been seeing for uh, over a year now, and I have another partner as well. You mentioned a few times that it's hard. It's on overdrive. So why do you do it? What, what, what are the reasons that y'all practice and do the juggle in terms of both your heart and schedule? Yeah, I think I could not live <laughs> without the freedom that polyamory gives me. But I think a lot of people can misinterpret that to mean that I'm not as committed to my relationship or it doesn't take as much work. I think the best thing though, that that work that I put in brings about is it teaches you how to build a life. Um, In the same way, my queerness, I think has taught me to challenge the ways I was brought up uh, and just the societal things you grow up assuming you'll do with your life. I think polyamory has taught me a very, very similar muscle of you can paint or create whatever life you want. That's so daunting, but at the same time, it's thrilling to know that you have that much agency moving through the world and through love. I also think I always say that falling in love is like the best thing on earth. And I don't know why I would just want to limit myself to doing it once because I found one person to do that with. You get to ride that, they call it new relationship energy or NRE. In this world, you get to ride that high over and over again. A listener on Discord writes, uh, I've been practicing ethical non-monogamy since before moving to the Bay Area. So before, (laughs) before California, it requires loads and loads of communication, patience, understanding, and amazing relationships with metamors, which we'll define in a sec. I've loved that different partners contribute to my life in different ways. No single partner has to be my everything. Jealousy can still exist, but I honestly feel compersion way more. Intentional empathy is so helpful for moving through those feelings. Also, monogamy in this economy? <laughs> uh, just to, to define a few things there. Uh, first, Allison, metamors? Yes, uh, your metamor is, you know, to put it simply, your partner's partner. And uh, again, sorry, I'm I'm new to all this, so 
Josephine or Christopher, if you want to jump in where I'm not going deep enough with the definitions, please do. Um, but yeah, your partner's partner and you can have one that you will have a relationship with or a friendship with um, if it's more of a kitchen table polyamory situation, um, which I think from some of the people I spoke to who were originally resistant to getting to know their metamors found that once they did have their own relationships with their partner's partner or their partner's um, lovers, that it helped take the edge off of jealousy, actually, because you saw them as sort of like a full person who was also a caring human that contributed to your loved one's life and uh, as less of sort of like a, a boogeyman threat to your relationship, which I found really interesting. In that particular case, you know, more more is actually more rather than more being, yeah, very threatening, which I think in the world of monogamy is is very much more the case. Let's define compersion, which is one of my favorites. Uh, Christopher, what is compersion? Uh, so compersion is the idea that you can feel joy or or some form of contentment or even elation from seeing your partner have uh, a healthy, growing sexual or intimate relationship with another partner uh, that's not yourself. A little interesting uh, history to tie it back to the Bay. Compersion is a word that comes from uh, a San Francisco San Franciscan commune uh, in the 1970s, Carista, uh, who's actually pretty famous uh, for coming up with uh, quite a couple different uh, polyamorous terms. I love that idea. Josephine, have you felt compersion or do you try to feel compersion as you all practice polyamory? Absolutely. I love my partner's boyfriend, Uh I think what Allison was saying made a lot of sense to me. There was definitely a tough part where my partner Aaron was starting to see this new person. And it was really, it brought up a lot of jealousy in me at first. But then I thought it through and I thought, I think the best thing to do is just to get to know this other person. And so we met for coffee one-on-one. And ever since then, we've been able to also build a really nice friendship on the side. And it makes me so much happier for Erin that she has this wonderful person in her life. Thank you so much, Josephine, for joining us today. We're going to go to a comment from Scott. I'm going to be 60 in March, and I'm in my first polyamorous relationship. In that, the woman I'm seeing told me up front that she was seeing other people. I don't have another partner yet. It was fine at first, but when she told me that she was spending time with her other partner, I had some major issues, even though I knew it was going to happen at some point. What are the best ways you found to deal with jealousy? Uh, Allison, any thoughts there or, or any recommendations from experts that you talk to? Oh, man. I mean, the, the first at bat of anything sounds super hard, so I, I commiserate. And, you know, I found even... Um, in my recent relationship, when my partner would spend time with his other partner, I really had to develop sort of like both my own internal ways of, of not even distracting myself, but like if I, it was like a Saturday night and I knew I wasn't going to be with my partner and they're going to be with their partner, I'd make sure to like go out with my girls or like, you know, do something really fun and nice for myself at home. And then we also uh, developed our own sort of rituals when the date was over or when, you know, the the vacation they took with their other partner was over um, in terms of how we reconnected so that it felt sort of like we were coming back into a space that was just about our relationship and our connection for a moment uh, to sort of quell any anxiety. And of course, just like being vocal about uh, the things that came up for me um, uh, 
which I recommend, you know, you do instead of just sort of sitting on it and saying, oh, I'm cool, I'm cool, even though I don't know how many 63-year-olds are out there saying I'm a cool girl, but if you're a cool girl, um, that you kind of challenge yourself to be more honest with yourself and your partner about what's coming up on those 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 moments when you're not the one spending time with the partner. Um, so it is a lot of communication, but also just like a lot of checking in with yourself and and having your own little rituals. Absolutely. Let's go to a caller. Uh, Jill in San Francisco, you're on the air. Hi, um, I'm Jill. Uh, I think I identify with solo poly. Thanks for that term. It's new to me. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, I've noticed a lot of kind of misconceptions or de- debunking the stigma um, I've, I've had less desire for like hookups, <laughs> fewer partners. I feel like we have better safe sex talks, um, that I ever had with, you know, anyone else in the dating scene, <laughs> all of my years of living. Um, and I just feel like it's so much more healthy. Um, and also having that kind of independence, I feel often women, eh, I don't uh, want to generalize here, but I, I feel like often women, uh, kind of feel trapped and I really identify with this escalator talk (laughs) so I'm going to look into that but uh, the whole concept of uh, you know having some time to yourself and some space for yourself being financially um, and emotionally independent uh, is a really powerful empowering thing it's a really great experience I I actually would say now um, if I had any advice to give to somebody who was monogamous or not monogamous um, as a female um, a young female what what should you do Spend some time by yourself, you know, who are you by yourself and uh, know yourself. I think that uh, when you have no one else to blame for everything, you learn a lot about yourself and uh, um, you can grow faster and then be more open to relationships if that's a pathway you you choose. But um, I do think that uh, there's a lot of stigma and um, a lot of misconceptions about uh, having a poly polyamorous uh, lifestyle. <laughs> Thank you so and, much, um, Jill. Yeah. Thanks so much yeah. for calling in and, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, let's bring in another caller, Joseph in Santa Cruz. You're on the air. Hi, thank you for having me. I, I just wanted to point out a, a perhaps less titillating or less exciting component. Um, my wife and I are uh, in a thruple with another woman uh, in our late 50s, and we do not have children. And um, our, our co-partner, um, is is a part of our intentional family. And, you know, there is a pragmatic relationship uh, component, I would say, to marriage. And when if you can integrate a third person, it can make things even better. Um, so, you know, whether two of the three want to go on vacation, they don't have to worry about the house or the dogs or the shopping or shared responsibility, uh, not only for the household, but also for the environment. Um, using less resources, sharing resources, and being more of a community uh, are components that get overlooked in the thruple polyamory, polyamory uh, paradigm. Thank you so much for calling in, Joseph. Appreciate that. Uh, we have a kind of a lay of the land question from Steve. Uh, on Discord, they write, I've noted there are multiple labels and terminology that seem to be preferred at different times. Are, is there a difference between polyamorous or poly, open relationships, and ethical non-monogamy? Uh, Christopher? Um, I, yeah, I think that, um, you know, if we think of ethical non-monogamy, I think as we talked about previously as being this umbrella term, and then you have these different versions of it. I mean, some people argue that polygamy is a form of ethical non-monogamy because it tries to be a political system. So, you know, a lot of polyamorous would say that's on the outskirts, but, you know, within 
uh, within that umbrella, there are many different forms. There's polyfidelity, which is the idea that you have a closed group and, and everyone is only faithful to each other. I actually just read something the other day of a polyamorous was critiquing polyfidelity as, as spicy monogamy was their criticism of that. So I think, you know, it's interesting to see the conversations within communities, but at the end of the day, you know, there's a kind of a pragmatic outworking of what happens or, or what's best for people in their kind of own experiences. And Allison, just to clarify, people do and can cheat, right, in polyamorous relationships? You can cheat in a polyamorous relationship. I, I found through all the people I've spoken to and, um, you know, it's, it's that there's even though you can have multiple partners, there's still agreements that you've made between you and your partners. And when you do something outside of those agreements without communicating or without saying, I think I would like this to change for me and without informing everybody uh, involved and like that's cheating. It's funny. I was, um, you know, I have seen a lot more people on not just field like sort of more regular, regular dating apps like Hinge or Bumble or Tinder that, will put in their profile they're ethically non-monogamous and, and I, I matched with someone who said, I'm in an open relationship, uh, but I don't believe in polyamory. I think you call this unethical uh, mono- non-monogamy. And I was like, dude, if you're just looking to, to, to cheat, like, cheat on them, <laughs> yeah, like we don't need to use a lot of fancy terms and confuse people to say that you're, you know, trying to cheat. Um, and so I think that the, 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 Again, it's sort of that that stereotype, like, oh, if you have a lot of partners, you can sort of do what you want, when you want, with who you want, without a lot of responsibility or accountability. And that's just not the case. You know, you can really uh, do things that are out of integrity with the agreements that you've made with people that you care and love about, uh, care about and love. And that kind of, I think, falls under the category of cheating. Hence the the term often used, which is ethical non-monogamy. I think that's kind of the the grow the growing term in, in this community. We're talking about polyamory, how it's becoming a lot more mainstream, some of the advantages and the challenges that couples are facing. Maybe you're curious about it. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, maybe you've tried it and you have an experience you want to share with us. Um, maybe you actively identify as polyamorous. Why? Tell us. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all our social channels at KQED Forum. We're on Twitter, Instagram, digital, our digital community of Discord. You can call us right now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We're joined right now by Allison Davis. She's a features writer for New York Magazine. She's also contributed to New York Magazine's cover story, A Practical Guide to Polyamory. And Christopher Gleason, he's the author of American Poly, A History. Join us. We'll be right back after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim, and we are talking about polyamory, how it's really moving uh, more into the mainstream. And we're joined by Allison Davis. She's a features writer for New York Magazine. And Christopher Gleason, he's the author of American Poly, a History. And we talked about it, or we've brought it up a few times, but Allison, how do people meet? We, we've we kind of talked about the app uh, Field, which is a dating app that tends to draw people who are um, more aligned with polyamory. But in general, if you want to do this, where do you find people who are similar? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking about how I sort of sourced people for um, this package. And a lot of it was like, thank you so much, uh, social media, finding finding. Um, meetup groups or sort of, um, you know, ethical non-monogamy or polyamory, uh, like support groups or therapists who um, have Instagram accounts that are really popular. I sort of like would follow them. But there are like a lot of, you know, um, I'm based in New York and there's um, a group that does poly cocktails once a month. So if you're interested and you want to meet people, start there. Just like show up at the monthly poly cocktail, well, you have to sign up but and go to the monthly poly cocktails. Or there's parties now that are sort of thrown by more social groups. Um, One that is really popular is called Hit Me Up, and they have really fun sort of monthly events and parties and bar hangs um, that are geared towards people who are already practicing various structures of ethical non-monogamy or curious, and it sort of makes it fun to go meet. But also, like, how do you meet anyone to date anymore? It's the apps, you know, that's sort of a good place to start. (laughs) Uh, Well, Aurora on Discord writes, my first encounter with polyamory was meeting my ex's divorced and polyamorous parents. I think it kind of shifted my worldview. They had probably the healthiest and strongest relationship I had ever seen. It redefined to me what a relationship could be. Since then, I've kind of been more willing to come up with non-traditional solutions to problems in my relationships. I ended up going back to monogamy again, and it made me really happy for a while. But I think I really feel like I was missing something this time around. And Mary writes, I would love to hear more about what the legal landscape looks like for poly partners and families these days, especially when it comes to things like caretaking benefits, child custody and adoptions, managing relationships with or without the legal protections of marriage and divorce. Christopher, do you have a kind of a pulse on the lay of the land legally? Um, it, it, in flux. So historically, uh, it has been uh, problematic. Uh, anytime, even going to see sick loved ones that you're not officially married to or something has been difficult in, in uh, hospitals, obviously child custody cases. But this is something that's beginning to change. Um, there are places uh, like Somerville, Massachusetts, where domestic partnerships have been extended. Uh, this is something that poly activists tried to do in the 80s and 90s. They were kind of pushing for as well. Uh, Southern California, we see uh, Canada as well, uh, multiple um, parents being put on birth certificates. And, you know, these are small legal victories uh, that are beneficial and have been, have been proven uh, largely non-precedent setting, though. So there's not like a huge national push. So, you know, as, as things progress, these issues definitely will. Some people have have 
kind of erred on the side of uh, keeping things private uh, and not challenging the legal status quo. And some people see this as a civil rights issue that will eventually have some large scale battles. Anything to add there, Allison? I mean, I've been really interested in the sort of uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts um, uh, legal arrangements. And I, I wonder just from a standpoint of like one of the beautiful things that um, polyamory or ethical non-monogamy grants you is like uh, a caller mentioned your intentional family. And for people who are, you know, single or who are just living a non-traditional lifestyle, this idea that you will be able to have the things that, that are privileged in marriage, you know, laws that help you with real estate or, you know, adoption or just any sort of thing that is reworking this traditional system that leaves a lot of people out of the things that they want, um, I think is really amazing. And I am sort of excited to see if that continues to evolve, like sort of the the like utopias that might pop up, even though that's so idealistic. But I do think there's such be- radical benefits and radical potential um, in things like what Cambridge is doing. Well, a listener writes, monogamous relationships have never worked for me long term. I felt broken, unable to love, and romantically deficient. Then I learned about polyamory, and it turns out that loving without limitations is one of the ultimate freedoms. Allison agrees. She writes, there are many reasons why I choose polyamory. It helps me avoid just going through the motions and skimming the surface. I want to show up for those I love deeply and authentically. It's not easy, but it brings me so much more joy. Polyamory is hard, but so is modern life. Uh, Let's go to Otis in San Jose. Otis, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I just wanted to say thank you so much for bringing so much of the positive conversation to this and the knowledge you guys are showing is just so great. I've been in a poly mono relationship for 10 years, but the, the benefits mentioning about the throuples, we always talk about the village that it takes to raise a child. And if it's a mother or if it's a friend or a relative, it's fine. But as soon as we have some kind of physical, there seems to be like an odd disconnect. Like it's more complicated for some reason, but I'm just so glad you're bringing the positive aspects of this, how much communication and, and understanding is really at the heart of it. What is a polymono relationship? My partner is monogamous and I am polyamorous. Oh, and and your partner is on board for that. They they've they're cho- they, yeah, I'm curious. Tell me more. <laughs> so, when we uh first met uh didn't meet well, when we first got together after my divorce, I realized that a lot of my relationships were ending poorly, not just because of physical um cheating but or infidelity but because of emotional infidelity and once someone told me emotional infidelity is the same as physical i realized that i was built differently uh and then (laughs) this woman and i started dating we kind of i was also learning polyamory at the same time she very much is traditional and likes the monogamous aspects but we've somehow found a way to communicate give each other enough space and understanding but know that uh and and i still do have physical relationships as well but um mostly it's primarily like i don't want to say that i'm emotionally cheating on somebody if i've made a commitment to be uh with them in a monogamous relationship and some monogamous relationships i've been in have told me you know you can't even be having the emotional connections and still be in a relationship with me okay then i gotta ask and excuse me if this is prying but do you disclose when you have these, I mean, are you disclosing to your partner when you are, quote unquote, maybe emotionally and or physically, you know, acting out those desires? 
100%. And they're discussed beforehand, not, not as an afterthought. Beautiful. Uh, we, there's, a, there's a great piece of uh, literature someone gave me. I uh, can't remember where I saw it, but it's called a non-escalator um, menu, relationship menu. Uh, and it's a great conversation starter. It just basically allows you to sit down with someone and say, these are the things I absolutely want in this relationship. Here are some of the things that I'm okay with, and here are the things that I absolutely do not want. And then it just starts the conversation between the two of you to say, like, hey, what what really works for me, and, and what is it you're looking for, as opposed to some of these nonverbal agreements we have when we get into monogamous relationships. Thank you so much for calling in, Otis. I really enjoyed hearing from you. Thank you. A listener writes, the speakers keep talking about polyamory being hard, but I don't know about that. It feels so normal and natural to me. Maybe that's just because I came to polyamory with good relationship skills that were hard earned over the course of a long marriage. I've been married for almost 25 years and with my other partner for 10. It's a family choice. Uh, did you, Allison, in your reporting, hear that from some people that, you know, maybe this, maybe we're, we're making it sound harder than it is? Do some people find it easier or the, the you know, easeful at the, at, you know, after maybe some hard-earned practice? I do think there are some people who said this does feel just like so natural to me and, and like they, you know, weren't un- unlearning so much uh, sort of like cultural norms that have been, you know, forced upon us. And, and you know, it's like anything, like some people are are better at running naturally than others and they run marathons without um, having any problem. And some of us like look at the treadmill and pass out immediately. Like it's, it's such a subjective stew of your upbringing and your, and your attachment style and your personal dating history. And did you have a really wonderful foundation with your, uh, your partner before you guys engaged on this? You know, it's like, it's, it's so hard to say what makes it, natural and easy for some people and a real worthwhile challenge for others. Um, but I think I, I did, I do, I did and do hear from people that it, it hasn't been quite as much of a slog as it has been for other people. But I think that's just, you know, uh, a melting pot of, of different reasons why. Noelle on Discord writes, polyamory challenges the nuclear family ideology that capitalism fosters, and thus also challenges the religious and heterosexual ideology of the family unit that the husband or father is in charge. Briefly, because we're about to end the show, uh, Christopher, comment a little bit on, on, because you've covered the history there from Noelle's comments. You know, this really challenges our idea of what a relationship is from the get-go. Absolutely. So, you know... Um, mononormativity, monoheteronormativity has been the linchpin of American culture for centuries. And polyamory does challenge that. And, you know, that was marriage and religion or uh, legal and religion together. So, you know, many of the early poly um, in, in the 60s and 70s who were pushing polyamorous ideas were pushing new religious movements, Eastern and, and pre-Christian Western religious ideas, too. So there is definitely a, a, a you know, a turning upside down of kind of that Protestant Christian uh, ideal of, of heterosexual monogamy that, that comes with it. Well said. Steve on Discord writes, I've heard some say that several lifestyle choices can be intrinsic to some people. I think there are people for whom anything poly would just be a bad fit and so, and some for whom monogamy wouldn't work. Did you find, Allison, in, in your reporting that people kind of had an intrinsic aha when they opened up to the idea of poly? They said, oh, wait, that's me. 
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of what I was saying before, that there were some people who were like, yes, this is exactly how I want to live in love. And it makes sense to me. And it makes sense for the way that I've always imagined my life. And I've had so many challenges within monogamy and not feeling, um, you know, like I could be a good version of myself or a good partner or a good, you know, citizen of the world if I'm monogamous. And um, I do think that there's sort of a, a feeling that for some people it is much more of an identity versus like a lifestyle. And um, I, I found that in a lot of the reporting that there were people that just said like, this is who I am. And like anything else feels uh, sort of against that that narrative. And um, I thought that that was really interesting. But I also do think it's, it's fascinating people who do the work to sort of opt in as a lifestyle and recognize that at some parts of, of their life, like something that is more open or, or um, polyamorous works for where they are. And that maybe sometimes they aren't ready for it and they go back to monogamy or they just choose to be on a full polypause and they're not dating anyone. And I think that there's um, a lot of, you know, interesting stuff about about both of, both sides of the equation. And, and Josephine, I was so curious when you spoke to that, how you and your partner started uh Polly and then realized like oh this is not right for us right now and and backed backed off and and then came back again and found that it worked and I I thought that that was really I found that sort of inspirational that it's not an either or so um anyway that's all I have to say Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for those thoughts, Allison. Uh, you're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurgan. Today, I'm in for Mina Kim, and we are talking about polyamory, how it's become a lot more mainstream, both the pros and the cons of doing it. Sometimes some people describe it as hard and some people describe it as the ultimate freedom. We're joined by Allison Davis. She's a features writer for New York Magazine and Christopher Gleason, the author of American Poly, A History. And I want to bring in one more caller here, uh, Tomas from Oakland. You're on the air. Hey there. Yeah, I just wanted to say I'm a huge proponent. I've been in a great relationship for the past four years, and it's deep. I've met my partner's family. I've met my metamorphs family. Um, the thing I'll just say, too, that's been, like, the conversation is, like, there's a script with monogamy of, like, expectations, like the relationship escalator. And I think for polyamory, there isn't that. And so it requires a lot of discussion. And that's what's been, been so helpful because I don't necessarily fit within either. And so having those conversations, like, what feels good for me has been more open in polyamory relationships than I would have, have experienced otherwise. Christopher, you've really looked at the history of this. And, you know, I think we tend to think of polyamory as something that kind of grew and has exploded in, in recent years, but it goes back quite far. Give us a give us kind of a brief lay of the land, sort of where it started and, and how we got to where we are today. Uh, brief run through. Uh, there are forms of ethical non-monogamy you can find, you know, all the way back through American history. I focus on on the U.S. specifically. Obviously, it goes back, you know, to throughout mankind's history. But uh, the 20th century was kind of a, an explosion, specifically the 60s. Uh, ideas of free love, uh, countercultural spiritualism, overturning that Protestant, uh, Christian, heteronormative, everything that came with the, the 60s and the religious movement. And then throughout the 70s and 80s, a lot of these ideas kind of incubated in communes uh, in the Bay Area and up the West Coast, as well as throughout the country. There were some activists in the 80s and 90s that tried to, uh, for reasons that we've talked a lot about today, uh, you know, extra help in family or uh, sexual diversity, all the reasons, uh, tried to portray it as something that uh, Americans should have embraced as a put in the post-nuclear uh, age. Uh, and they were they were met with a lot of ridicule uh, and kind of laughed off uh, uh, 
talk shows on TV in the 90s. Uh, and then the internet really came along and pretty soon they realized that it wasn't just them getting together, you know, every year at their polycon conventions, but there were people in, you know, Oklahoma and Iowa that began popping up on message boards. And so it was kind of a, a you know, as an activist movement, they weren't very successful, but those ideas kind of came to us in the present uh, very organically through groups as, as the technology uh, emerged and the internet connected people across the country. And do we have any sense of how many people are actively polyamorous? You'll see kind of different. Uh, there are studies that say twenty uh, percent of people have at least tried some form of ethical monogamy. You'll see some that say you know one to three percent of the population. Also, it seems as though you know as it becomes more accepting, people are more willing to come forward and say this is something I've done. So I would expect uh, that, that number to grow. Final question to you, Allison. Then, because it still seems like it's still a, a minority, do you feel like we're moving past the stigma, or do you feel like there's still a lot of stigma? interesting. I, you know, so much of the package had to be super anonymous and um, because people do feel like it's a stigma. And I, and I think yes and yes and no. It, like, it's definitely non-traditional and people have a lot of opinions. And I think that anything that sort of threatens the status quo or the or the, like the expected norms, um, people react really strongly to. And and I think some of the the comments um, that I've been seeing in, in, on social media, it's that like there is a lot of confusion with polygamy and that gets people sort of, um, you know, a little heated. And, and so I think that, yeah, there's still a lot that's not understood and there's still a lot that's not really talked about. And I don't know if, if the threat of like, I'll, I'll lose my job if my boss finds out that I have, you know, a girlfriend and a boyfriend and like a dom I see on Sundays, but it is sort of enough outside of the mainstream and enough outside of our expectations of how like love and relationships goes that I think that there is like a real, a real fear and a real um, potential for, for backlash and, and repercussion. Yeah. Well said. A listener on Discord writes, we have to be conscious about our relationships and how we navigate, communicate and show up. The intention of all the intention of it all is one of the most beautiful things about it. And another listener writes, one of the other things I've noticed about polyamorous relationships is that they really emphasize communication, clarity, the sense of intentionality and regular check ins. I think folks in monogamous relationships could learn from this perspective. Good note to end on. Thank you to all of our callers and our listeners. And thank you so much, Allison Davis, again, features writer for New York Magazine. She contributed to the, this month's cover story, A Practical Guide to Modern Polyamory. And Christopher Gleason, he's the author of American Poly, a history. Thank you both so much for this fascinating conversation. I think thank you so much. There we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. And thank you again to all our listeners. Uh, join us again for Forum tomorrow. Have a great day. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.